0: All right, we're recording. Terrific. How you doing today, Kathleen?
1: I am excellent. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, th- thank you for the invitation to join you today. This is a delight.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I uh I had the pleasure of uh, meeting you a while ago. Yeah and uh you're an interesting person.
1: That's diplomatically phrased.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you um so right right off the right out of the back, you you work for a prison, you're a, a chaplain, correct? correct? That is correct. Um I know that you have a disclaimer you need to get I do. out there. So. you
1: know, It's a delight to be here, but I want to be really clear that I'm not here in any official capacity and that the Michigan Department of Corrections is in no way responsible for the content or the accuracy of any of the material I share or the views that I express. Those are entirely my own views, and they are not necessarily those of the department. So it's a pleasure to be here, but I am here entirely as me, not as a representative of the department.
0: That's a uh, something I've never really had to worry about.
1: You know, I understand the necessity for making that point clear. Um, the department has a really important job in terms of public safety and assuring the safety and um, stability of our communities and for our staff, including myself. So we want to make certain that what we are doing is consistent with that sense of security mm. and what what might seem like benign, information to the average person can actually be exploited for means that are less than
0: honorable. So we
1: we want to be really careful about the
0: information that we provide. Yeah, that was something that um, who was I talking to recently? Oh man, who was that? I don't know there there I've had I've talked to a few different people. I have a friend who's a police officer sure. or, or was a police officer, and that was something that he had to take extra precautions mm-hmm. because I mean, it was in a small community. So whenever you take somebody to jail they kind of know who you are and if Uh you live in that community Mm -hmm. it can be dangerous
1: it it can be you know you're dealing with people whose worldview and whose frames of reference can can often be quite different than your own and when you are a person who is generally trusting and um, at ease in the world you might be dealing with someone who is less trusting who is more suspicious who is actually trying to exploit opportunities to their severe advantage and you want to be careful.
0: Especially working in a prison, right? Yes. I mean, yes. that's probably some of the most hardened criminals, right?
1: They, they can be. Now, I, I should be clear that I work at a, what's called a level one facility. So that's the lowest level of security. Everyone in our facility is eligible to go home. So we're what's known officially as a reentry facility. Uh, unofficially among our population and staff, we call it a going home joint. So everyone in our facility is turned in the direction of home. and they want to get there.
0: What is the average amount of time like in a level one facility that you would spend typically?
1: Yeah, typically it's a you're, you're talking a matter of months as opposed to oh, okay. years. Uh, although some people you know do have 12 or 24 months ahead of them yet. But you're not looking at someone who's got 17 years yet to go. Okay, That's not, you know, you're usually going to see that more at a level two, which could also include those who are doing a, a natural life sentence, um, possibly even level four. Yeah, the higher the numbers, the more security. Measures that are in place. So um, ultimately, the goal is to move someone down to that lowest level, and ultimately onto parole, which is, in fact, the lowest level of security. You're not quote free when you are on parole. You mm-hmm. still have some accountability to the state. And then once you're off parole or off paper, as it's known, uh, then you have that 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 freedom to move about the planet, to borrow the phrase from the uh, the airline commercial. <laughs> you know that um, you've. One hopes been able to adjust your mindset so that you see opportunities for positive contribution as opposed to um, a harsher exploitation. Mm-hmm. So um ultimately, the goal is when we talk in the department about um, commitment to protect and dedication to success, what we're talking about is keeping our our community safe, But we also want to see, success stories for those who return to those communities. So that's ultimately our positive outcome
0: that we're seeking to achieve. What kind of role does a chaplain play into that?
1: So it, it's a bit of a divided role. Officially I am there to assure accessibility to religious programs, because even if you're uh, incarcerated, you still have a constitutional right to free exercise of religious freedoms. So, my job is to facilitate all the religious programming. And so we have 18 different groups that are active in our facilities, everything from Buddhist to Catholicism to Asatru, Native American, Wiccan, uh, several different types of Protestant Christianity, uh, Jewish, you know, uh, three types of Islam. So my job officially is to facilitate all of those program efforts and make sure that groups have what they need in order to continue to exercise their religious faith while they're incarcerated. So that's the official part of my job. Now, tucked in between all of those official, you know, components of my job, you know, the, the budgets and the schedules and the database management and, and uh, those kind of bureaucratic requirements. Tucked in there, I, I have all kinds of conversations with prisoners about their futures and specifically what you and I have talked about uh, when we first met, the idea of rehearsing your future that what you're doing here, today, right now, is a preparation for what your life is going to look like when you go home. And so that's a also a big, although unofficial, part of what I do. I help people prepare for their life at home. Now, religious practice may be part of that because that helps you develop a sense of your own ethics, a sense of what is right for you, what is not right for you. But it also it goes kind of beyond the scope of traditional religion and it's Very much a a question of psychology. It's very much a question of philosophy. It's very much a question of who is this person that I want to be? Am I living out the stories that I want to live? Am I making the contribution to the world that I ultimately want to make?
0: Right. Yeah, I could imagine that for a prisoner, that would be uh, significant, right? It would give them a sense of purpose for when they do get out, something that they could kind of look to. Absolutely. It gives them some sort of ground to stand upon.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, In the end, I mean, all of us start at step one, but we have, you know, when we're successful, we have a sense of this is the outcome that I want to see. We do that for all manner of things. You know, when I went to college in my younger years, I knew I wanted to graduate and I knew I wanted to graduate with this kind of grade point average. And I knew what I wanted to do after graduation. For me, it was going on to graduate school. So the question I had to ask myself is, is the life that I'm living on this day, does that support or does that obstruct that ultimate vision of what I want to achieve? And if it doesn't support it, what can I start doing? that will support it. But you ultimately have to begin with that question of what kind of life do I want? What kind of vision do I have for the life? And it's tough for a lot of people who are incarcerated because sometimes they don't, they had no idea they were going to live this long. Wow. You know, I, I had a, a, young man in my office a few years ago and uh, he had just turned 25 and he was having a really hard time coping with that idea. And he he looked at me and he said, I just didn't think I was ever going to live to see this age.
0: 25 years old, 25. Wow.
1: You know, but he said, I lost so many friends when I was in school, in high school, you know, friends who died from overdose, friends who died on the streets, uh, friends who died in domestic violence situations that had escalated. Car accidents, people fleeing the cops—I mean, all kinds of things. He just his his own father died at 38 when he was a boy, and so he really didn't think he was going to live to be 28, 25. And having lived to be 25, he he said two things. First of all, I know that prison saved my life. I just don't know what to do with it now.
0: What kind of things do they do in prison other than like religion that help build habits for like healthy lifestyle habits to so that when somebody gets out of prison? they, they know how to like be self-sustaining in a sense.
1: There are some things that we do. Ultimately, what we recognize is that any change that's really going to endure begins internally. Uh, We can impose a certain structure on you externally in terms of the daily schedules. And I will often talk to prisoners about the, the very things that frustrate you about being incarcerated. Um, are also the very things that help you recalibrate your life. We've made your world smaller. We have slowed the pace. We have tightened the focus. So you don't have to worry, for example, about what you're going to eat for dinner tonight. We have a chow hall that, that provides that for you. You don't have to worry about what you're going to wear today because we have state blues that you're going to wear. Hmm. There's a lot of the you know so-called adulty decisions that we've taken off a table for you. And now without having to be burdened with those things, you are free to do the internal work of making those adjustments, of recalibrating. You are free if you want to stay up all night and mess around with your tablet because you know we have tablet computers that are available. They're not wait,
0: they get tablets.
1: They have them available. And you know, you can they don't have an internet connection, but there is a, a way to access the internal email system that we have so that you can correspond with, say, Jackson College, which offers uh, college classes in our facility. So
0: you could email people?
1: With restrictions. Whoa. Yes, and you can receive. But we do monitor it. We just need to make sure that everyone is safe. Um, So
0: you could talk to your loved ones while you're in there. You can. Whoa. Yeah. That changes the game.
1: It does. You know, Because ultimately, the two things that are going to be major factors in someone's Success when they go home is stable employment and stable living, right? stable home environment. And you've got to have those really solid one-to-one relationships. um, We can't cherry pick them for you. So if you're drawn to a partner who is just bad chemistry with you, we can't really stop you um, unless there's something, you know, illegal or inappropriate that's happening. But yes, you can absolutely continue to maintain those connections. And ultimately, we want you to, because the hard thing about incarceration is it's not just you who's behind bars. Your family's impacted. Uh, Your employer was impacted. Suddenly, this person that was showing up for work is no longer available for work. So you want to be able to maintain those positive connections. And the ones who do the best, the, the people who go home and are successful are the ones who have been able to maintain solid, positive, healthy relationships with the people who are closest to them. And continue to invest in those relationships, even while they're apart from so-called the world. So, yeah, being able to email, being able to telephone, being able to write letters, uh, being able to receive—you know, people can send books in if you, uh, under certain conditions, you know, can send you things to read, can send you magazines, can send you books, um, can help provide you through the prisoner store, um, that sort of thing.
0: Now, do they have access to these things because it's a level one, or is does it? tighten up as you get into the levels the higher low higher generally levels.
1: generally speaking it's available to all oh okay um you know we're careful about what's allowed we, you know we don't allow all publications um i'm free as a free citizen to order any book off amazon now you can't do that when you're you know, behind bars you can't do it while you're amazon in won't bar. deliver to the prison
0: no it will <laughs> it, it will just, <laughs> uh
1: no they they absolutely do and they do on a regular basis actually um but there's certain material that we will not permit.
0: Oh, okay. Like so, what?
1: Um, well, you know, if you wanted to order 50 Shades of Grey, no.
0: Really? Why not?
1: Um, understand that some people have been locked up for criminal sexual contact. Mm. And there's a, there's a distinct line between the activities between consenting adults and the activities between adults who are not consenting. And so, yeah.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. So we just know that some of the material could be triggery. And so that's not something that we encourage. Um again, we we want we want people to draw their own boundaries. and If you won't draw them, then we will help you. That makes sense. Yeah. We want people to be as far removed from those kinds of pitfalls as possible. Right. Or what we call safety, security and good order of the facility. Um but ultimately it's for your own benefit. I mean, there's a reason, you know, that the average person's not reading those kinds of books because this is not a lifestyle that I want to you know, explore, let alone, you know, and participate. So I think a lot of
0: people are those kind of books, like the 50 shades of gray. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, it was, that a, was like
0: one of the top sellers.
1: It was a, <laughs> it was a big bestseller for a long, yeah. long time. And you know, the movie actually did you know, a respectable business at the box office. At the same time, you recognize it's a little bit like alcoholism you right, know, right. Um, where you and I can enjoy an adult beverage That same adult beverage in the life of another person is just a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, And so it's for everyone's benefit. Now, the hard thing, I think you probably have this experience as I do, of having a person in your life who you know should not be indulging in the adult beverage.
0: Yeah, I just had a guy on the other day. Yeah. His name is Ron. Um, He came on to share his uh, experience with alcoholism and uh he just it was sad because he was on i think in like june and then he relapsed again um in august mm. and so he shared his experience of going back to rehab and yeah yeah it was sad but he's doing better now yeah but he's hes a guy who cannot have a drink
1: you know and it's one of the things that i explain to people both inside and outside the prison that uh you know the, the word addiction has kind of a neat etymology of, an origin and a history of its usage. It started off in the Roman era um, as a legal term. Anything that starts with an, uh, an ad at the beginning as a prefix means to include. And that word, the root at the back of it, diction, that's where we get the, that's our word for word, right? Dictionary. So an add diction is a, is an addition of words. What it was is a legal document that was used in the Roman era. If someone, if I owed you money, in the Roman era you would go to court and the court would order me to work off the debt that i owe you and until that debt is paid in full you own me now you can be a benevolent owner or you can be a hostile owner but you own me the larger the debt obviously the longer it's going to take and if you're a hostile owner you're not giving me any options. So I can come to you and say, you know, David, I want to go home. My kids having a birthday and you can say, "Well, sure, go home and have, you know, have have fun with your family." Or you can come out and say, "No, that's that's not going to you don't do that anymore."
0: That's how I feel like my work is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I ask for permission all the time. Like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> I'm just joking. But. Yeah. No, and I and I get it.
1: You know, but the thing with addiction is it starts off with use and then it goes into misuse and then it goes into abuse and then it goes into, right. it, ultimately yeah. it goes into something fatal.
0: But that's that's kind of what, like I was talking to my friend Ron and it was a lack of habits. It was a lack of him following mm-hmm. through with the things that uh, con- he did consistently that kept him sober, like working out, eating healthy, exactly, going to A or not AA, but doing his, um, I think he called it IPO or IOP, something like that, intensive up. Op- I don't even know. Um, It was some sort of therapy. Intensive outpatient. Yeah, intensive outpatient. So he he was doing that. He stopped doing that. And then all these other things, too. And then Mm -hmm. eventually reading his Bible, going to church, like those things. And then eventually he had a drink. He's like, I can handle a drink. And then,
1: nope. No. No. And that's, in some measure, that's, it's hard to talk about in terms of a gift. But that's one of the benefits that comes from incarceration. I've told prisoners the worst thing that ever happened to you was not getting locked up. The worst thing that can happen is not having your people visit you here in prison. One of the worst things that can happen, frankly, is your people visiting your grave at the cemetery. The universe say what you will, but the universe shrank your world, pulled you out of the one you were in, shrank your world to more manageable dimensions so that you can work on the dimensions that matter most of all, which is the six inches between your left ear and your right ear. And only you can do that work. And you know, a person with addiction knows, your friend knows, if I create these gaps, something's going to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. Now it can be the addictive behavior, yeah, until the addiction eventually owns you. I mean, i've I've known people. I used to work in addiction treatment. I've known people who, you know, stole money from their grandmother's purse to support their habit. You know, and you don't think when you're a kid, or even when you're starting to use the drugs you don't think it's going to reduce you right to that level. And yeah. yet here you are, you don't think it's going to land you in prison. You don't think you're going to be the person who's breaking and entering the homes of strangers or businesses right. or whatever. And it reduces you. to that.
0: I mean, even in a, like a less dramatic sense in a less dramatic way, I'm the same way. I'm not an addict in any way. Like I can drink alcohol and be fine. I can smoke a cigarette and not get addicted. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is like there's certain things I do. Like, Let's say I stop eating healthy or I stop working out for a few days. When I stop doing the things that make me feel good and normal, then that's when I start picking up other things like eating junk food and like, yep. going out to eat more and just going off the rails. Yep. And it's those habits that keep me grounded to who I am as a person and who I need to be Absolutely. to keep my mind clear.
1: One of my favorite books is actually sitting on the shelf behind you. It's Atomic Habits good by book. James Clear. I love that book. And he talks about the distinction of habits that are driven out of a sense of goal orientation versus habits that are driven out of a sense of identity. So if someone offered me a cigarette, I would have no problem declining. And the reason is because I am not a smoker, right? I'm rock solid, clear. I don't even have the least bit of ambivalence on that. I'm not a smoker. So it's easy for me to say, no, if someone offered me, I don't know, Oh, hey, we're going to the, you know, the pizza shop you you want in. Well, yeah. Why? Because I'm a person that will eat junk food, (laughs) (laughs) right? But James Clear makes makes a sort of distinction between the, the midpoint, which is if I were offered a cigarette and I was a person who is trying to give up the habit of smoking, very often we'll say, no, thank you. I'm trying to quit. And underlying that response is an identity that says, I am still a smoker. So if you give up that part of your identity in exchange for something healthier, bigger, stronger, better, it's easier to do those things. It's the difference between being that person that runs a marathon because you want to run a marathon versus the person who runs a marathon because he is a runner. Mm -hmm. And runners run marathons. They run 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. They run for fun. They run Christmas Day. They run New Mm -hmm. Year's Day. If your identity is a runner, you will run. If you're doing this because there's a goal orientation, as soon as you meet that goal, you stop. So for you, that's yeah, how I am.
0: Yeah, that's how I am. Seriously. Absolutely. That, I have to have a goal to do something like uh, that. Like if I'm training for a marathon, I'll train hard. I'll do the marathon. I'll yep. succeed in it. And then I'm like, uh oh, now what? And then I just kind of sit around. I'm like, I can, I can re- take a few weeks off. That's what happened with me with my marathon.
1: Yeah. And there's something to be said for taking time off to recover. But then maybe you get up and you still put on your running shoes, but you walk around the block. Yeah. You're still maintaining that identity. Yeah. I am an athlete. Yeah. You know, I, I eat in a certain way or I consume, you know, I hydrate in a certain way, whether it's, you know, lots of water or whether it's whiskey, but I hydrate in a certain way because I am an athlete. If you maintain that identity, then it's easier to maintain those, those habits that support the identity. Right. It's yeah. easier to identify the goals and achieve the goals. They're yeah. tied to that identity. The hard thing that we see in prison is if you start to identify with that prison persona, you know the, the guy who has this fierce-sounding prison nickname, mm, yeah, you start identifying as that person, and then you start cultivating habits and, right. and goals and outcomes and whatnot that are consistent there i can't tell people stop calling you you know each other by your prison nickname but i can say you know listen when you go home do you want your future boss to know you as chainsaw i mean no (laughs) yeah i don't think so you know i don't think you want you know if if you're dating do you want your you know your future partner to take you home to meet her parents and say yeah you know
0: well unfortunately a lot of that's cultural too though oh it is um you know where it's it's kind of looked highly upon to have served time it's looked highly upon to uh I don't know. Like it, I don't know. It's weird because, so I know this guy, I work with this guy who went to prison. He actually worked in the same prison or would not worked, went to the same prison you work at. Oh, okay. And, and I like think he spent like five years in there when he was like in his twenties, he's now in his like forties and he works at general motors, Yeah, has a good job, can support like himself, can like have like a good life. And he has this prison mentality still where he's like, hmm He's the loan shark in people money. Like he walks around like doing the little thing while he's handing people money.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And ultimately that's coming back <clears> to <throat> a scarcity mindset that if I don't game, I won't get. I would
0: sp- think it's like, it's like something, there's like some sort of like, I don't know, like if, it, if there's like some sort of reward system for people thinking that you're like the top dog in, in the joint.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, there absolutely is. There's a hierarchy behind bars the same as there is outside. Yeah. Um, you know, we want we want people to to see some swagger in us. I mean, swagger is actually pretty cool these days. <laughs> um, I can stop almost every conversation in a room when I tell people, Oh yeah, what do I do for a living? I'm a prison chaplain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like there, there are very few jobs where I could actually work for the MDOC where people think they know what you do for a living. They're probably wrong, but they think they know, and because they think they know, they're fascinated mm. because it hooks into you know some image that they have, some movie that's playing in their head, whether it's Shawshank or you know whatever it is.
0: That's probably the most iconic one, right?
1: I you know I have to say it is one of my favorites you know, because I love, because fundamentally it's a movie about mindset, right? You know, the character of Andy Dufresne. Yeah. um, Ultimately he talks about hope and I've asked countless prisoners, you know, what is it that you, what is it that sustains you through your hardest days? Because if you can continue to hold on to that thing, whatever it is, you will make it through this hard day. Yeah. Ultimately, I love Shawshank as an example of mindset because you see it in the transformation of the character red. Morgan Freeman's character, that you know, he comes in and says, "Hope is a dangerous thing," and Andy says, "No, it is the only thing, and it is a beautiful thing." And in the end, that's how the movie ends. In fact, they retooled the ending of the movie because the audience uh, at the initial viewing, when they were showing it uh, for test screening, the audience was like, "No, this doesn't end the way we want it to end. It has to end on a more upbeat note, as opposed to you know Andy just getting out. That's not enough." And so they tacked on a better ending, which was red connecting with Andy on the beach in Mexico and saying, you know, ultimately the last words you hear Morgan Freeman say in that movie are, I hope, I hope my friend is there. I hope he's doing well. I hope to see him. I hope.
0: That's an important point because, um, a lot of people I've gone through, you've listened to my, my podcast, right? Like about, about my story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like a lot of people ask me, like, I don't know how you could have made it through. Like, I don't know how you don't hate the people that were, that did that stuff to you. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, for me, the thing that got me through everything in life was just hoping for a better life. Just hoping for a better future. Yeah. Literally just trying to make it through today because tomorrow would be better. Hopefully.
1: Absolutely. You know, and uh, Nietzsche is the one that said it. And Viktor Frankl is the one that really spread the message. But Uh, It's the idea that if you know your why, you can endure almost anyhow. That's what got Frankel through the Holocaust. Um, It's the core of Nietzsche's philosophy. It's all those things. It's part of the reason I, you know, hook into uh, religious practice too. If you have a a a why that is compelling, then you can go through hard times. Mm -hmm. You know, for you, your why is absolutely the title of your podcast, the name of your podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, I absolutely believe that there is something better, something bigger and more beautiful that's out there. And I'll die trying, but I'm going to get to that place. Yep. You know, Andy Dufresne in, the, in Shawshank does the same thing. And so that's what I talk about, you know, that if you've got a why that can shape your identity, you can go through the hard times. Yeah, absolutely. You can make it through prison. There's all kinds of stories out in the world about people who did time with a solid why to inspire them and to shift them. And because they did, it transformed them. Mm. But until you hook into that, why man, it's really hard.
0: Yeah. I mean, going to prison is like in a lot of people's minds, like one of the lowest things you could do in society, right? Like, like once you go to prison, it's like, Oh man, my life is over. Yep. But you don't have to let even that situation define who you are as a person.
1: Exactly. Um, and that's in fact the hazard is when you let it define you first of all it creates limits for you I'll never be anything more than this one of my huge pet peeves is the word just you know I'm just this kind of I'm just an ex-con I'm just an old felon because the word just in that instance means simply or nothing more than I'm like no no no, no you I, I joke with prisoners but I, I'm sincere when I say it no one like you've got kids right no one holds that baby in their arms for the first time and thinks this little peanut someday is going to grow up and go to jail.
0: <laughs>
1: Nobody thinks that. Right. Um, no healthy person anyway. I mean, when you hold a baby in your arms for the first time and, you know, I've, I, I let's just say I, I have family. Um, when I've held those little, those little babies, you know, I am thinking big things. I want them to live amazing lives. I want them to do amazing things. I want them to, to grow up in no goodness and joy yeah. and, and that's what you want. And so yeah. the idea that I'm just this thing, I'm like, no, you tap back into that potential that everybody has.
0: Right. Well, that's like the, that's like little kids talk about all the time. Like my son, he's always like, dad, I'm going to be a fighter jet pilot. Yeah. Like, dad, I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. He doesn't think about going to jail and no. being in prison. No.
1: There's a story that I've often told prisoners that um, it's a strange story because you don't think it's true. And it is. Uh, It's the story of a young woman who living her life in Texas uh, was in her either last year of high school or just out of high school was in a terrible motor vehicle accident there was a fatality and uh, one of her classmates was killed and you think man how is this person ever going to get over being that person having done this thing having your fingerprints all over that terrible moment that particular person was former first lady Laura Bush. Mm -hmm. And she went on to do amazing things, both as a, as a municipal level librarian and ultimately as a first lady of the United States, championing the cause of literacy.
0: It could have been that moment that defined her future. Absolutely, it
1: could have. And it's to her credit and the credit of the people that surrounded her that it was not the thing that defined. It's a pivot point, no question. And it's It's going to shape who you are. But if you let it limit you, if you let it destroy you, and those are options you will never be able to you're going to struggle to put good things out into the world Mm -hmm. and i think ultimately that's what we want it's it's your kids saying, i want to be a fighter pilot you walk into any group of uh, any kindergarten classroom right now and you ask those kids what they want to be when they are grown-ups they are thinking big
0: yeah they should
1: be and if they're not you know something Something unhealthy is going on at home. Right. Somebody's yeah. already drilling into them the message that you're not going to amount to anything. Yeah. Because when you're six years old, you believe that everything is an option. I'm going to be a, a marine biologist. I'm going to be an astronaut. And I'm going to be a doctor. I'm like, you're going to be all those things. <laughs> yeah. Because when you're six, you believe it's absolutely yeah. possible. And at some point, we start chipping away at that and, and giving kids a reality check. I'm like, yeah, I don't know Then the average six-year-old or eight-year-old <laughs> needs a reality check. What they need, though, is someone in their... Right. And it's a stunning real realization that a lot of people who do wind up in prison didn't have someone in their corner. Mm. Or if they did, and that person was one of their biggest advocates, they didn't believe the things their advocate was saying. Uh. That it's, you know, that may be true for other people, but it's somehow not true for me. Yeah, And it's one of the things I talk about um, with prisoners in terms of owning your mindset. The first thing you have to do in order to live out the story that you want to live that is your life the first story you have to change is the one you tell yourself about yourself because the world has been filling your head with stories about you and you might not be well served by buying into those stories.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so
1: now is the time. Now is not the time to buy into the one that says ex cons cannot achieve something positive. Absolutely. They can.
0: One of my favorite uh, stories here locally is a a guy who was in prison. Um, I think it was for growing weed. And uh, it was like a federal charge. Yeah, and he went to federal prison, got out, and now he owns um, a fish fry place, um, East Side Fish Fry. Oh, okay. and it's been documented on um, a Triple D show. Triple mm. D has been there several times. Nice. Um, he's an ex con. He hires other ex cons, and, and that's su- huge. super successful, super yeah. successful guy. He's bought. So he has that business and then he's bought like several car washes and stuff like he's constantly working. He's a hard worker and he didn't let his circumstances of going to prison define how his life was going to be after prison.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you can take the experiences that you have while you're incarcerated. And broadly speaking, those experiences can lend themselves to other opportunities. I mean, you work hard when you're in prison. Are you well compensated? No. You're not prison jobs. Do not pay well.
0: How much do they pay? Um, are you allowed to say, no, I'm not. No, Okay.
1: (laughs) But, uh, but you know, you're going to make enough to cover your very basic necessities. If you're not supported by people at home, you're going to struggle.
0: So would that just go like into your commissary.
1: It it can go into your, your, your state draws, what we call it. And, uh, you can use that to make purchases at state store. So things like toothbrush, toothpaste, um, athletic shoes. Okay. If it goes beyond the basics that the state provides, then that's how you can obtain those things. What kind of
0: things do the state provide?
1: Uh, you know, state blue uniforms. Uh, we have a basic, set of of state shoes. Um, they're just like Oxford's, uh, socks, underwear, um, you know, some basic bedding, um, basic hygiene necessities. That's about it. Um, everything else, you know, we want you to work because we want you to be in the habit of Mm -hmm. getting out of bed getting up in the morning, having a routine, having a reason to be there. Right. Um, I have a work crew that uh, assists me with chapel, basic functions, you know, basically like filing and uh, cleaning and that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I I tell them, look, you're not, you're not going to get rich working for me here, but um, you know, I'm going to do what I can to make this a really solid work environment for you. Because when you go home, I want you to be in that habit of Hustling. I want you to be in that habit of contributing. I want Mm -hmm. you to be in that habit of taking pride in the work that you do. So I'm going to do everything I can as your supervisor to support that. Now, some people rise to that occasion and to that opportunity, and other people, not so much. But, you know, I know where I work. But at the same time, your boss has that problem at GM. Yeah. You know, it's true. You give somebody an opportunity, and some of them are going to just stun you with their capacity to contribute. Others are in it for themselves. So people behind bars are really not that different
0: than people outside the world. I uh, equate GM to prison a lot. <laughs> 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 I do. I mean, because it, it, it's its own little world, it's own its own little environment, yeah. um, and it's small. It's I mean, it's not prison in any stretch of the imagination. Oh, but we we joke because you have to you have to clock in. You go in past these gates. Mm-hmm. Can't leave until it's mm-hmm. time to leave.
1: Yeah, that's a lot like my work, you know. Um,
0: (laughs) You literally are in prison.
1: I am literally in prison.
0: That's Which is insane. So what is it like working in a prison? I mean, because like there's things I can do. I can play on my phone. I can surf the internet all day long. I'm not limited essentially to what I can do. But Uh, like for you, what is that like?
1: um, I cannot bring my phone. Uh, That's not permitted. Uh, And to be blunt, it would just be a massive distraction. Yeah. Um, but it's also security concerns. So no, we don't permit phones. Um, our administration can, but uh, those are issued by the department. So there's restrictions on how they can be used, but you know, generally, you know, there's a lot of security procedures that, you know, not any different than if you were to visit someone there, you know, we, we patch it down and, and make sure that you're not bringing in anything that you're not authorized to bring. Um, but then, you know, I, I have access to the internet and, you know, like, one of my core principles for my work is I want to learn something new every day. So when I read different documents or reports and I run across a term that I, you know, it's not familiar to me, I'll look it up. I'm like, ooh, I, I I didn't need to know what that phrase meant or what that meant. But but yeah, I mean, I like learned, what? Like what kind oh, of phrases. Usually it's uh, cr- criminal law. <laughs> you know, the the details of someone's crime. Yeah. Oh, y- y- gotcha. the, the things that human beings are capable of doing to each other are just sometimes breathtaking and and heartbreaking, but yeah. at the same time, I learn something new every day about law, or psychology, or religion, or
0: um,
1: you know, history. I learn a lot about history. And so, how
0: did you get into chaplain work? What?
1: So I have two degrees in religious studies or religion in general. Uh, my undergrad degree is from a Catholic college, and then I went on for a four-year master's program um, at uh, a divinity school, and so my first. The first phase of my adult career uh, was 15 or so years, close to 20 years, really, in congregational ministry settings. Um, So I did a a year-long internship out in Washington State, and then uh, my first parish was in Pennsylvania, and then my second parish was here in Michigan, which is how I came to Michigan. At the end of that time, um, you know, my last assignment, let's just say, did not end well And uh, we agreed that was best for, you know, for us to part ways, which was actually a a positive change because um, I realized how much I really don't enjoy that work. (laughs) Um, You know, it was a a situation where, you know, I was pretty good at it and that was enough for a long time until it wasn't enough. And then I wanted, I wanted to do more. You know, I was tired of having meetings about picnics and, you know, um, small scale things. I wanted to, to do something where you made a positive impact in the world you know i go back as a lot of people do to that great steve jobs quote of making you know putting a dent in the universe and i wanted to do something bigger and mm-hmm. so you know i took a break and kind of retooled and regrouped and worked for a while in addiction treatment uh with a nonprofit uh, grassroots organization and, and the budget there was a little you know, uh, stretched and just was going to be it just was not a long-term option for me so i started looking at um prison chaplaincy i began as a volunteer at the women's prison in ipsy township and uh, decided you know if i can work with level four women which is maximum level security i could work with level one men and so that led me to my current position and uh, it turned out it's been a really good fit if i have any regret it's that i didn't move in this direction
0: sooner wow
1: because i mean i can't say i like my work because it's built on the idea that people have been wrecking balls out in the world and other people have been hurt and right impacted right. but it is an opportunity for me to make a solid contribution to our world. And, you know, officially I can tell you that my job is to oversee religious programs, but unofficially in reality, my job is that I contribute to the creation of safer and more prosperous Michigan communities. That's what I do. And that's why it's possible for me to go in there every day, because I know that the work that we do makes a really solid difference that we you know, we mm-hmm. are, as we say, committed to protect, but we are also dedicated to success.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. Because if you can make a positive impact on one person's life, yeah, when they get out, I mean, that might help them tremendously.
1: Absolutely, and that's that's our goal. Um, you know, we want people to use this time away to retool. I mean, that's not fundamentally. This is not self help camp. You know, that's <laughs> not. The court did not send you to us because we just thought you needed to get your your, your stuff together.
0: That's kind of what it is, though, right? I mean, like, it can you be. should treat it that way.
1: You can, yeah. You can treat it as a hardship. And it, don't get me wrong, it is hard. But you can also recognize that this is an opportunity for me to walk out a different person. Right. And if I'm going to do that kind of work, this is my opportunity. Because never again do I want to have the universe pull me away from my world to work on myself.
0: right? What kind of tools and resources do does the prison offer um, people who want to better their life?
1: You know, our facility is really oriented toward making available those programs that the court has mandated in order for parole consideration. So it's tough for me to say that we offer all these other things because they really don't know what what we do at other levels. Right. Okay. Ultimately, a lot of it is going to come down to what kind of work are you doing? Now, I can tell you that for us, um, we have a really terrific library and our librarian staff works really hard to provide quality reading materials. I can also tell you that uh, our chapel that I oversee has a really phenomenal religious library. I recognize that a lot of people, particularly people uh, somewhere between 18 and 30, such as you, um, are less interested in, you know, traditional religion, and more interested in spiritual topics. So I have worked really hard to stock our shelves with books on self-help and personal growth and, um, Mindset transformation and yeah, psychology, all those things. I mean, I've got a copy of Atomic Habits on there. I've got a copy of um, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. I mean, I've got those you know abundant books, several hundred different volumes of books. um, And they're available if you want to avail yourself of them. But I can't force you to read them. I can't force you to check them out. I can't force you to change. But if you want to make that change then that opportunity is there. But ultimately, that transformation starts internally. And we may actually give you some obstacles, but I've told prisoners countless times. uh, There's a great quote um, from a journalist named Joe Hyams, a World War II vet, and then uh, made his name in uh, celebrity journalism. He interviewed people like Sinatra and Bogart. And and at the end of his life, he became really interested in martial arts. And he wrote a book called Zen and martial arts. And there's a a really great quote that I I wrote down to bring with me just because I wanted to remember it in its fullness. He talks about how um, every place you go functions like a dojo, functions like a practice hall for the martial arts. And he says, uh, a dojo, that practice hall is in fact a miniature cosmos where we make contact with ourselves, our fears, anxieties, reactions, and habits. It is an arena of confined conflict where we confront an opponent who is not an opponent, but rather a partner engaged in helping us understand ourselves more fully.
0: Mm.
1: And I tell prisoners, that is what you have here. This is your dojo. This is your practice field. This is your rehearsal studio. This is your classroom. This is the place where you're going to encounter an opponent who is not an opponent, but a partner who is helping you better understand yourself. So if I get on your last nerve, you do well to think why? Why is this getting at my last nerve? Yeah. Am I hit is she hitting a button?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, because there's lots of people out in the world just like me. Mm-hmm. Maybe your future boss is like me. Maybe your future landlord is like me. Maybe your future spouse is like me. If you can figure out how to deal with me, then you can figure out how to deal with all of them. Right. But if you can't figure out how to deal with me, you're not going to be successful dealing with them. Yeah. Everything that you encounter here is in in anticipation in rehearsal for what is waiting for you when you go home so if you've got solid conflict resolution skills here then you're going to have them when you go home your environment isn't going to impact your skill set your skill set is going to go with you wherever you go right you take you with you wherever you go and if you are a wrecking ball you're going to be a wrecking ball wherever you go so someone could say well you know if i had that awesome job at gm where i was making bank and you know, hmm. I was, you know, getting these opportunities. Yeah. Then I'd be a different guy. No, you wouldn't. You'd show up as the same guy that you are today. Right. So the yeah. task ahead of you then is to make sure that you are that guy yeah. who can take full advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you. And that can start now. In fact, it should start now.
0: That's such a good point.
1: It should start now because the stakes are small. You know, there's a forgiving learning curve. You know, if you screw up in prison, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you may, Pick up a misconduct ticket. You may pick up some sanctions or whatever, but you're, you're not going to lose a $50,000 a year job.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: You know, you're not going to default on your mortgage. You're not going to lose custody of your kids. You're just going to screw up here. Yeah. And the stakes are really small. So use this dojo, use this, this location, this practice hall to develop yourself and become that identity that James Clear talks about. Become that guy. Yeah. Become that
0: person. You are your habits. You are your, your habits. You're your, your discipline. Yeah. I was uh, I recently had a, a friend on. He he was one of the owners of Liquid Web here, oh, yeah. here in Lansing. His name's Travis.
1: Yeah, I remember that, that podcast episode. Yeah,
0: it was such a good episode. Yeah. Um, but Travis, he ended up selling Liquid Web for millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And so he's a multimillionaire. He owns Saddleback Barbecue, Saddleback by Slice um, here in Lansing now. But uh, one of the things that I think we talked about in the podcast was... Um, I had told him cause he, he was telling me that, you know, he had became really soft throughout the years where yeah. he wasn't working out, what he, he wasn't doing anything. And I, I said, I think I would probably be that way too. If I had all that kind of, kind of money, I probably wouldn't be ambitious. And, uh, he, he was like, no, I think you would because you're a disciplined person. yep And that's the thing. Like, and he, he made me think about that and it's, it's resonated with me ever since then. But like, I always think like, if I did come into that kind of money, what, what would I do? Like, how would I act? How would that change my life? Would I continue doing the things I'm doing now? Mm-hmm. Or would I just allow that to change me and for for the worse and make me lazy and, and unambitious?
1: Yeah. And ultimately, what we have to do as we continue to level up and up and up right. and up is yeah. maintain that. I mean, you'll hear motivational speakers, you'll especially hear uh, retired pro athletes talk about staying hungry. You know, and that's yeah. what they, that's what they mean is to say that the, the same thing that drove you when you were on the high school football field, dreaming of NFL stardom, that same thing that drove you as a 17 year old kid has got to drive you now that you're 35 yep. and you're not playing for the league anymore. Right. And Sunday afternoons are yours.
0: Unfortunately, that for, especially for a lot of athletes, they don't, they don't find that purpose. No. They and they, don't. they end up going off the rails after that.
1: Yeah. And ultimately it's because it goes back to that James Clear stuff, doesn't it? That they were goal driven. Right but their habits were not shaped by identity. Yeah. You know, so when you look for like, if you do a Google search that says successful retired athletes, you'll find some amazing stories out there because they built an identity that did not require being a pro athlete.
0: Right. Right. The
1: ones that, that there's two downfalls. One is poor financial management. Well, there's three downfalls, poor financial management, poor companionship and a lack of identity beyond. Yeah. And you see this beyond the world of sports that you've got. It's in everything. Yeah. People, I mean, I, I've met guys who are, who've said, you know, I violated my parole because I had a PPO, uh, you know, from my, you know, my kid's mom and she said, Oh yeah, you know, let's just forget that. We'll just text each other about custody issues. Mm. <laughs> and as soon as the thing went crosswise and go sideways, then yeah, you know, I was like, Oh, you, no ultimately you know, the five people with whom you spend the most time are going to make or break you right you know so if yeah. if you're surrounded by five highly accomplished goal-driven people who have shaped their identities around a certain version of success yep. you're gonna be the sixth guy yeah but if you're hanging out with five people who are looking to get stoned every day well, right. guess what you're gonna be the sixth guy
0: yeah you surround yourself with people that you aspire to be absolutely and that's that's what i try to do yeah
1: Yeah. And really anybody who has accomplished anything of, of substance or of significance is more than happy to bring someone else up behind you. Yeah. They're not bothered by it. No. You know, some of them are, but then, you know, we just move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. People who are successful are always happy to help other people succeed. Uh, We may have limited time and resources and, you know, I, I can't personally mentor prisoners or anyone listening to this podcast. Like, aha, I just hope my loved one crosses paths with her. No, forget that. (laughs) I don't have enough time. You know, I'm, I'm stretched to get enough done in my 40 hours, but you need people on the outside because all
0: you mentor people. No, no at all. Not officially. No. No.
1: I mean, I, I will have one-on-one conversations with people, but you know, we've got 1600 people.
0: So you, you're, you're kind of wanting to do like a, like some sort of motivational thing, right?
1: you know i've done some public speaking throughout my the early part of my career uh you know the pandemic kind of brought a lot of that to a halt through
0: through like being uh, working in a church and stuff yeah a lot of it
1: built on my my background in congregational settings okay. so um yeah but you know i i was always really mindful of the people who the church has successfully alienated
0: <laughs> so
1: <laughs> you know at this point in my life I, I count myself among them um i'm mindful that some for some people the word religion is just a huge trigger and they don't want want to hear it and you know for me I get it but at the same time I I I embrace the word religion I um as a person that loves language the word religion I think is really helpful because again when you look at the actual word uh the root in the middle of it those letters l-i-g that same root appears in, in the word ligament which is the connective tissue that joins bone to bone. So if you've ever had a ligament issue, you, you know it's difficult to you know bend your arm or whatever because right. that tissue is joining bone to bone. If we did not have ligaments, we cannot have the skeleton that is our infrastructure that actually allows us to stand upright and to move forward. Without ligaments, we would literally collapse and become an actual bag of bones and we would su- actually suffocate under the weight of our own bodies. That's what religion does. Is it provides you, it provides a person with a personal ethical, moral infrastructure. We've misused that term and thought that it should be something that I impose on you. Right. That th- these are yeah. my values and these are my ethics and this is my morality, and therefore it must be yours.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a misuse of that idea. But for for each of us, you know, the person that says, "Well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual," I'm like, "Yeah, no, you you are religious." You just don't want to say it because it's, it feels icky and I get why it feels icky. you've been abused or hurt by religion. So I get that. But at the same time, that idea of true religion being the thing that tells me this is right for me. This is not right for me. This is not acceptable for me. This is absolutely the right thing for me. This is the thing to which I should, do I want to aspire? Religion can do that. Even, Even if it's not a religion that is focused on a deity, you know, a God or gods or, um, you know, creator of the universe, whatever you want to call it. If you right. are completely not interested in that, you still have a religion. Yeah. You still have a sense of this is what holds me together. And I think there's, there's value there. So I can look at all the 18 different groups that we have. I don't follow all 18 in those paths, but I can recognize something that is important and something that has value, something that I can embrace from my own. It's a different difference, of course, between embracing and, Uh, co-opting or appropriating you know i'm not going to pretend that i'm native american but there's a lot about native american spirituality that i appreciate yeah i love the emphasis on the natural world on the created world um so i can appropriate yeah i I can bring that into my life without appropriating it um you know as a person identifies as as christian i can then look at the tradition of celtic christianity which had a strong emphasis on the natural and created world so i can be influenced by the native american tradition that i oversee yeah while not actually being a person who is Native American,
0: yeah, yeah, that's a interesting thing too because like I've interviewed so many people that are like spiritual, oh yeah, and it seems as if they're appropriating some of these different cultures,
1: yeah, and I, I imagine they see it as a gesture of respect or admiration. and I suppose there's nothing wrong with it, but at the same time, you haven't had the struggles that come along with with that tradition you haven't you know, just
0: <laughs> appreciating everything that they've worked hard for
1: yeah you know i was watching a um, a youtube video series over the weekend on um strangely enough something called patent medicine uh, it was notorious during the victorian era you know like the old medicine shows that would peddle all this like weird science and whatnot and one of the most popular themes for the late 1800s early 1900s was the theme of white man who goes into the wild encounters the native community and discovers the secret of good health that we were completely happy to appropriate all their stuff and put, you know, a a headdress on the the marketing label of some potion or lotion or whatever. Um, but at the same time, that was a time when we were like literally relocating native communities from, you know, this part of the country to this other part of the country, completely disrupting their Mm -hmm. lives. And I'm like, yeah, if you, you can't appropriate this thing because you haven't had the struggles. Right. It's not part of your story. You know, you kind of want the cool factor without, without the growth, without the struggle, without the hardships and
0: um, without the experience,
1: without the experience, you know, and it's, it's ultimately unfair to those who have, who have struggled. Yeah. Um, I know there was a lot of resentment, for example, when rap became um, more mainstream because initially it was the music of, of the streets
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, there's still some conflict. I know there was a story a couple of weeks ago in the news of Michael Irvin and his son. Michael Irvin's a retired NFL player, played for the, the uh, Dallas Cowboys for a while. And Irvin's son is is a young and up and coming rapper who wants to talk about all the hardship that he knew and all you know, be on the streets. And and his father, Michael Irvin, is like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> you grew up in a gated community. Oh my God! You were in a twenty thousand square foot home. Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Right. So there's that feeling of, yeah, you know, this is not authentic for
0: you. Right. It may right. resonate with you. Yeah. And that's not yeah.
1: wrong. But it is authentic to you? No, not so much. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's the line you, you want to walk between what is respectful and what is uh inspiring. Yeah. And then not crossing a line and, and just completely co-opting it for yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think there's like a beauty to that, right? When somebody is live it, like they're they're like Eminem for instance yeah. from Detroit who was just like trailer park trash like wow. that's what he considered himself and yeah. then he just worked his way out of from the from the lowest of low mm-hmm. and then became one of the most successful rappers of all time absolutely and then so many people aspire to be that and it's that story of success that people love
1: it is and it's the reason that we embrace brands because certain brands Suggest success, you know. So we'll have that that guy that that wears the Eminem concert T-shirts, or and the person that wears Nike product all the time, or that person that's wearing only this pro sports team stuff or whatever. Because we're borrowing someone else's success, and that's there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But what it what it does ultimately is it says my success is built on something other than me, and you know, bringing back to the work that I do. I want your success to be built on you. Not your ability to you know to be brand loyal. yeah, not your ability to identify with this other person. Yeah. who are you? There was a thing I remember reading this when I was a kid. I you know I was in a backward reader's digest of this uh, philosophy class, and the instructor, it was a really tough class and super demanding. And at the midterm, like almost everybody failed. And so, <laughs> you know, and people needed this class to graduate and some of them were scheduled to graduate at the end of the semester. And so there was great relief uh, when the instructor finally said, you know, when it comes to the final, it will be open book, open note. You know, you can't bring in, you know, like today you couldn't bring in a laptop or anything like that, but, you know, open book, open note. So people spent weeks just organizing and collating all their notes and cross-references and books and whatnot (laughs) like people were literally bringing in backpacks full of resources and one person brought in his little wagon you know loaded down with books and they were ready for this exam right and so he he distributes the the test paper and it's comprised of two pages the first page has a single question on it who are you and the second page has an extensive list of everything that you cannot bring up to answer that one question you are not your gender. You are not your religion. You are not your political party. You are not your college major. You are not your GPA. You are not your honors status. You are not your geography. You are not if you're not those things. If you're not a rabid Red Wings fan, if you're not a GM worker, if you're not a weightlifter, if you're, then who are you? Yeah. And that is a tough question to answer.
0: I like to say that you you are your experiences.
1: Very often. Yeah your experiences will shape you. You know, I mean, I am very much shaped by a a working class upbringing. Um, Am I a working class person? Well, I don't know. It depends on how you want to define that. You know, I ultimately went on and earned two college degrees, which my parents did not earn. Does that make me better than them? No, just makes me different than them. But that experience as a working class kid? Yeah, that absolutely shaped my worldview. Um, And absolutely shaped the things that came next for me. Um, you know, for, for people who are incarcerated, that experience of incarceration will shape you, mm-hmm. but you are not that
0: experience, Right.
1: And you don't it, have to be, you don't have to be if you want to, again, it's a brand. And if you want right. to cling to that brand, yeah, you, know, you want to be that guy who goes out into the world and is forever and ever known as chainsaw, then that's your variety. But
0: that's, if you look at it in a negative way. Mm hmm. I mean, you can look at going to prison as a positive thing. Yeah. I is, mean, maybe you were, your life was in shambles prior to that. Yep. And then this allowed you to set yourself straight. Yeah. Whereas, you know, that experience did shape you in a positive way.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that ultimately comes back to that idea of owning your mindset. You change the story that you tell yourself about yourself. Right. You know, ultimately I work with uh, with an acronym of I-R-O-N, iron as in iron bars. I Reject the idea that everything happens for a reason. All
0: right, we're good.
1: I absolutely reject the idea that everything happens for a reason. Because sometimes the reason something happened is because you were an idiot. You know, and that's nothing high-minded there. But I absolutely embrace the idea that everything that happens has value. Everything that happens in our lives is instructive. It can draw out the best in us. It can help us retool. It can help us recalibrate. Uh, Everything that happens has value. And so if you use these iron bars to help you reinvent yourself, the first thing you have to decide is what are the stories that I want to live? What are the stories I want to be able to tell about my life? Mm -hmm. Do I want to be that person who's married, who has a family, who makes contributions in the world? Identify the stories you want to be able to tell about your life. And then if you're not currently living in any way that resembles those stories, that's okay. Okay. This is the time to start. And that's why I I talk about rehearsing your future. Yeah. That you go to what James Clear talks about with two-minute habits. You start at the the smallest. That's why his book's titled Atomic. Not just because it's powerful, but because they're little. You start with the little things.
0: Start by making your bed.
1: Start by making your bed. You know, the first step to running a marathon is not running the marathon. It's putting on your running shoes. Yeah. And then maybe it's walking around the block. So you start with those two-minute habits and you rehearse. And specifically, you rehearse in three really core areas. One is health so that you have the physical ability to show up in the world. The second area uh, that is core is relationships because the best stories we tell about our lives always involve other people. And then the third area is the area of contribution. How do I want the world to be a better place for my, my having been in it? Right. And you start with those at really micro levels, you know, so it's getting in the habit of making your bed because you're, you're starting to stack wins. You know, if you've, if you've got messy relationships with your family, well, then, you know, you start with an apology mm-hmm. or you start with sending them a letter or a JPEG Or if you're on the outside, you start with sending a text. Hey, I'm thinking of you today. Right. You know, or this thing happened. And it made me think about that story about that time when we, you know, and you start building those things, um, you know, your level of contribution. Um, am I putting good into the world? And you have to be kind of creative when you think about, you know, putting good into the world, like someone who works at General Motors, um you know it's like uh, yeah how glamorous how cool how inspiring is that work
0: it's not (laughs)
1: dude are you kidding me are the people that are going to use the vehicles that come off your line ultimately or the parts that comprise the vehicles that come off your line that is the stuff of family vacations
0: yes but i think and a lot of people that like i work with would have testified to the fact that they hate their jobs they it doesn't feel like it's it doesn't feel like you play a big role in anything. Mm -mm. You're just this this tiny little person putting one or two parts on a car, not one or two, but you know, you're doing something simple. So I think it's important for a lot of people to have another purpose. It It
1: absolutely is. And the thing that's cool about watching you and watching your podcast grow is that's a place where you feel like, I think, anyway that you feel like you are making a contribution yes absolutely especially with the theme of your podcast i mean like you could be doing some sort of sports show or you know <laughs> current events or whatever i mean and there's a huge market for that stuff but the market for people who are putting inspiring stuff out in the world particularly one of transcending your, your circumstances of rising above god that is an enormously inspirational thing to do
0: yeah and
1: you know there was a point in time where you just had that idea of huh i wonder what it would be like to host my own podcast. Yeah. And look at you now. I didn't think
0: it'd be like this. No? No. I had no idea it'd be like this. What does that mean? I, I didn't know. Well, for one, I didn't know I'd be over 170 episodes in by yeah. now. Um, and I didn't know that I would be sitting down, to, like allowing other people to come share their stories. I thought it would honestly just be me talking about the foster care system and overcoming it. And then I thought it would be me having people on to share uh, their stories of being in the foster care system as well and then it kind of transcended into other people sharing their experiences in life
1: yeah because fundamentally everything is everything's the same you know the the skills that you need to transcend a life Mm -hmm. an early part of life in the foster care system is the same stuff you need to overcome a life spent on public assistance right A, you know, transcending a life where you dropped out of college because you bombed yeah. or because of addiction or because of incarceration or the same skill set that you need for X is what you also need for Y is right. what you need for Z. Yeah. You know, and you can use that. So, you know, I've told people, look, especially when I had, you know, young kids in my life. Um, yeah. They're like, I don't know why I have to learn this stuff in school. I'm like, well, you know what? sweetie, you're <laughs> learning a skill set. Yeah. Algebra teaches you how to methodically solve problems. Uh, you're not gonna, are you not going to, are you going to use algebra on a daily basis? I mean, I don't. Yeah. You know. um However, I do need a methodical means of solving problems, and I need that every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I need to be able to persevere through things that I think are boring. Right. Because adult life is fundamentally a boring prospect. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, paying bills and you know getting the yeah. oil changed and um, all that stuff. I mean, none of it's exciting. But you have to be able to develop a tolerance for things that that bore you. Yeah. Because tucked in every now and then between those those boring, randomy adulty things that you do are these moments of amazing. Yeah. But if you can't put up with the boring, if you can't do the grind, you're never going to find that shine. Absolutely. And so that's where that stuff pays off. And so the thing that you're maybe you prisoner guy are doing behind bars, you're going to be doing that when you go home. The on you know, the inspiring stories that you find for the foster care system are the same inspiring stories of uh, someone who re- rebuilds a business after a bankruptcy mm-hmm. rebuilds a life after a relapse.
0: Yeah. Those are the stories I love yeah seriously those are the stories that i love of somebody who just completely fucked their life up yeah and then they now are the most successful disciplined and they're rich or whatever it is i'm like how did you get to that point point? and mm-hmm. how did you get from here to there yeah. and what happened in between yeah that's I, I, so like inspiring to me
1: i will do that for my own life i mean i'm the, that person that's crossed that half century mark in this planet and uh I will go back as I look at the things that are coming next for me. I go back and look at the things that worked for me in the past. And one of the biggest accomplishments for me was going back to college at 27 after having bombed the first attempt, going back and not only graduating, but graduating summa cum laude. And I have a vivid memory of uh, having my academic advisor assist me walking up the steps to the stage, walking across that stage, holding that diploma in my arms like I was hugging a teddy bear (laughs) and bursting into tears. And I just remember saying over and over, I did it. I did it. I did it. And when you have that kind of moment, it will define you Mm -hmm. because you're like, you know what? Anything that comes next, I mean, it may be incredibly hard. I have memories of being in this junky little apartment where the heat barely worked and it was a basement apartment. And so when there was snow, we completely blocked out all the natural light. It was a oh. cave. I mean, it was so hard. I remember <laughs> being at my desk with those gloves where the fingertips are cut off, and, uh, taking notes on church history that was incredibly boring. You had to remember all the emperors and popes and kings, and, oh, man. you know, and just so I could, you know, get the A in the class. Right. And again, it was doing all the hard things, doing all the boring things, doing all yeah. the mundane things. Because it led to that moment of I did it, I did it, I did it, you know. And so I've I've told guys when you get when you get close to the door. I mean, we just had a, a, a guy from who's been active in the chapel. He just went home last week. His parole was delayed for, because of paperwork issues. And I said, you know, look, when you walk out that door, you're going to know one thing for sure that you can overcome your addiction because that's what landed him behind bars in the first place, and that you can do hard things. And when you know those two things, everything else lines up you can do the next thing mm-hmm. i've often told prisoners that if you want to do an incredible offer yourself an incredible gift when you get out of here and get yourself settled get yourself solid you know make sure that your housing is is where it needs to be your employment is where it needs to be and then you get yourself out beyond the the city lights so that you can actually look at the stars you're going to want a night where you have a new moon where you can't see the moon mm-hmm. at all. Right. you need something that a new moon no clouds so that the sky is just wide open. And I want you to go out someplace far from the lights of the city. And I want you to look at those stars because first of all, the whole time you've been locked up, you've never been able to see stars. Um, Our security perimeter lighting literally obscures all star lights. So you can see the moon, but you can't see stars and take a look at those stars. And you know, if you do it long enough um, and with the right kind of mindset and the right sort of heart, you'll be both inspired and humbled by it, you know, just to have this sense of your own smallness and that who am I, you know, to have Mm -hmm. this, this little life. But the reality is if you're out somewhere among the trees and the stars, the trees and the stars are necessary for our existence. I think you and I have talked about this before. If it's not for trees, we don't have any mechanism to convert carbon dioxide into oxygen. Right. So we have nothing to breathe. If it's not for stars, ancient stars exploded You know, eons ago. And that microscopic dust that came from the core of those exploded stars coated this planet with an iron dust. And that iron dust ultimately worked itself into the human frame. And that's what we call hemoglobin. And that is the stuff that shows up in every one of our red blood cells. And hemoglobin is what allows us to pull oxygen from our environment into our bodies so that we can live and breathe. Our existence is literally tied to the existence of trees and stars. So if you put yourself in a place where you can see the trees and you can see the stars and you can listen to all the night creatures and all the night sounds, you you can understand that your place in this universe is every bit as valuable and every bit as essential and, frankly, every bit as temporary as those trees and stars. Stars do not shine forever. Trees do not live forever. We will not live forever. But while we're here, we have a contribution to make. And your contribution, you, David has me, Kathleen Myers, you, prisoner guy, you, listener, your contribution in this world is every bit as essential and every bit as beautiful yep. as those trees and stars. And that's the gift I want for everyone.
0: Awesome. I love it. I'm glad. We did over an hour.
1: Yeah. You know, I was a, <laughs> I was a preacher once, David. You know, you can take her out of the pulpit, but you can't take the pulpit out of the girl.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, this was a, a good and, uh, very valuable um podcast episode sorry i'm my glasses are super uncomfortable i get you yeah so getting used 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 to them yeah i um, had
1: a ton of fun so thank you for your invitation
0: yeah absolutely thanks for doing the podcast it was a lot of fun and uh we'll do it again sounds good awesome thank you thank you